0: Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. I feel that I can now announce to you, you know, if you're a longtime watcher, I used to do this broadcast with the gracious badger, Rowan Mangan, but she has not been doing these broadcasts with me for a while and won't be because she has been working on a creative project of her own. And today I talked her into showing you an early version I mean, it's not finished. Um, she's work start- in progress. Yeah, it's a work in progress, as she says in her Australian accent. That means work in progress. I know mm-hmm. you didn't pick that up. Anyway, um, yeah, would you like, so I'm just gonna invite Roe, are you ready for your? I'm ready, yeah. Okay. If you guys are ready, I'm ready. And so this is Rose' announcement here, and it is <sighs> the gracious, 2.0. It's a mini badger. It's a baby badger in the house. Hi, everyone. Yay. That's what I've been doing when I've been lurking in the background. And this is gestating Yeah, she's been secretly gestating a badger, like a tiny badger. So that's so now you know. Now, now you know. This is Lila. Lila, wave for the people. She likes to <sighs> wave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love you all. So that was my announcement. And um, I thought we have not shared it with anyone else. You guys are our first to know because we are close, you and I and us. And thank you for joining in. And I thought, you know, what shall I talk about today? I shall talk about self-forgiveness because here's the thing. When there's a tiny, tiny baby in the house, (laughs) the best laid plans of mice and men do often all completely to pieces at your feet. And that's what's been going on with me for the last week and a half. Um, so once we, we had an unexpectedly long hospital stay, nothing really a problem, just had to stay a little bit extra, came home. Babies are different. Every baby's different and every baby is very, very interested in being attended to around the clock. So what happens is that things that I thought I should be doing like posting on social media or getting the, the copy editing done on my book or just pretty much anything like eating solid food, all those things sort of whoop, go past. And I got in myself into quite a state, which I was in when, you know, when I was 23 years old, and I had my first baby, same thing. Oh, I should be productive. I should be doing other things. Because your nature will tell you that there's nothing as important as hanging out with your loved ones and a new loved one deserves to be hanged out with even more. But our culture says, Well, that's just for dumb people and women. Oh wait, women and dumb people, they're the same. Yeah, it's a very misogynistic culture and there is no space in Western culture for calling an achievement anything to do with just sitting around loving your peeps. Even though when you get to the end of your life, that's all you're gonna care about at all. So, I had myself in a place where I needed the magic of self-forgiveness. And I really wanted to talk about that because, bro, I had my, oh, I have it here. Okay, good. Because a dear friend of mine, Stephen Mitchell, has written a book called The Way of Forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I had to print this out on the computer because I didn't get my copy yet. But you can order it and get it on Kindle right now, or on any other format within a few days. And it's a wonderful, magical book because it helped me figure out how to forgive myself when I get myself into a state of self-recrimination. Self-recrimination, I would guess, is the single most toxic thing that most of you guys do, because you're a very, you're a very educated group. You're a very Elevated group, um, very, you know, very good. Like everybody who comes on here, I can just feel it. You're trying your best to be your best all the time. That is wonderful, but it goes along with a lot of self criticism. So almost all of us have pretty savage inner critics, and the culture encourages that. They want us to say we're not being productive enough, we're not doing the right things, we didn't do it perfectly enough, we're, you know. We don't look right, we don't sound right, we don't say the right things, all of that. so it can get to be quite a cacophony in the head. Um, In my book, Diana Herself, cover behind me, um, I talked about it as the furies, which are a mythological Greek beast um, that would come down and destroy food when it was all prepared for people. In Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, it says that every day you set out a beautiful table of all the best foods you can make and the furies arrive and poop upon it. <laughs> so you, you do your very best to make your best life. And then you get to a place where you're tired and your plans are going astray and you haven't slept as much as you're used to and you, the furies start to come. <laughs> and they start to tell you you're not good enough. And this is very, very toxic. And most of us believe our furies And we pick up extra furies from the people around us. So if you had critical parents or a nasty teacher or badgering (laughs) um, bullying classmates who said mean things about you, you picked up their voices and interjected them as furies. And it's a way you keep yourself in line. I mean, that's uh, it woke up in me so hard because when I was 23, had my first baby, I was in the middle of getting my doctorate or starting to get my doctorate. And I immediately thought about all the things I was supposed to be doing while taking care of the baby. And I was unprepared for how much my nature would turn me toward caring for that child above everything else. I did not do a particularly great job of it. I apologized to her about it I think yesterday or the day before. I could apologize every day for the rest of my life and not get it done right. Oh, see, furies, furies, that's the mode I'm in. And I kind of, so we have this new baby and I put her on my chest and I'm walking along and suddenly I'm 23 years old again. And my old furies, it like triggered an attack of the furies I used to have before I thought through these things. So um, I I thought, okay, I gotta let myself off the hook, let myself off the hook. now. Everybody will tell you this and they'll say, do a lot of self-care, take a bubble bath. They actually do help a lot. Have a cup of tea, get some rest, read nice books. Yes, all of that is very good. But here's the thing. Even though I do positive self-talk, and I know last time we met, I was telling you use self-talk when you need to like let yourself off hooks, actually saying out loud, it's okay, you're doing your best. Nobody could have really done better than their best. So give yourself a break. Those things are great and really important, but when the furies get cranking, you need some more powerful medicine. And this is where my friend, Stephen Mitchell's book comes in. The Way of Forgiveness. It's Stephen's retelling in a kind of novelized form of the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors in the Old Testament. And in case you don't remember this, Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers in a family that had, I think, three wives. Good old Mormon traditions. Oh wait, that was before the Mormons. Anyway, good old polygamous traditions. His brothers were all jealous of him. He was the youngest of the 12. And so they attacked him one day and they threw him in a pit hoping he would die in there. They left him to die of exposure, starvation and dehydration. He didn't die. Somebody found him in the pit. So they pulled him out and sold him like a piece of luggage to some bypassing strangers. And um, yeah, we know the horror that that can be when people sell each other. And he was sold into Egypt famously because uh, he was Jewish. And at the time Jews were at a slave status in Egypt. So he was sold. And then the whole, a whole story works out. He, he becomes, because he's so good at stuff, he's noticed by his master and given an elevated position. Then he gets thrown into prison. Then he gets, he ends up being Uh, interpreting a dream for the Pharaoh that turns out to be accurate. And so the Pharaoh makes him a high courtier in the the court of the Pharaoh. So it's a success story. And then there's a famine in all the lands and his 11 brothers need to feed their families. Now, because he interpreted the dream, Joseph stored up a whole bunch of food because he said the dream is about a a famine that's coming. So we're going to store a whole lot of food. So Egypt had enough food. So Joseph's 12 or 11 brothers came to petition the Pharaoh for food for their people. And Joseph saw them coming and they didn't recognize him. And so the whole story is about how he sort of, he sort of toys with them. He sort of cat and mouses it. But um, in Stephen's retelling, it's very cool. In the, in the biblical telling, he just, he doesn't tell them that it's him and he sends them back and he says you have to prove that you have a certain amount of silver or something. It's complicated. Read your Bibles, people. Um, <laughs> uh, so in the end, they come back and he forgives them and tells them who he is and speaks to them in, in Hebrew and kisses them and hugs them. Oh, he sends them back to get his father. So the whole family is reunited and and he forgives all of them. Now. Beautiful story. But the way Stephen tells it is especially revealing to me. And it tells me how forgiveness works because the way forgiveness works in most, like I was raised in a Christian-ish religion and in monotheistic Western religions, forgiving people is kind of like saying, oh, it's all right. You can do what you want to me. Kind of a martyr feeling. Um, In Stephen's account, he has much more of an Asian slant on it because he's a, Zen, he's a former Zen monk, right? So what he has happened in his version is that when Joseph is in the pit dying of dehydration, he suffers so much that it pushes him to the point where he lets go of his life and he awakens in the Asian sense of enlightenment. So he's enlightened. So he's seen through the illusions of the world. So then as he goes, they sell him and whatever, he's kind of like a baby himself. He's kind of going, all right, Let's see what happens, let's see what the world's about. But he's awake. So he sees the divine in everything and in himself. And that's why in jo- in Steven's book, he's so noticeable that he keeps getting elevated, even though he's in the most oppressive condition. And it's how he interprets the dream. And then when his brothers come, all he can think of is, how grateful he is that they created the conditions for his awakening. And the only reason he plays with them in the way that he does in the Bible is that he's trying to get them to the state where they will wake up as well. So it's when they recognize him and they realize the depth of their own sense of guilt, he waits until he's got them in a position and their dad's there and everything where it'll have the most impact and then they can wake up too. But he has no anger in him because he's awake and he sees that every bit of his suffering was a condition for his awakening. So my own experience with forgiveness is very similar to this, even though I'm not like fully awake, every single thing that someone has done to me that has hurt me is a factor that has pushed me toward awakening, Toward because, they, because things like anger and recrimination are painful. And so instead of becoming vengeful, my tendency is to go inside and say, what has this given me? So what what creative thing can I make from this situation? And in every case, the more frightening the situation, the bigger the illumination on the other side. So like I wrote a book about um, experiencing abuse as a child and people sometimes say, how did you forgive? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that I was supposed to forgive because what happened was I just became, I the experience allowed me to dig through a lot of my own illusions and become free from a lot of things. So all I feel now is great gratitude. And I don't know when I stopped being angry or whatever. And this doesn't mean that you have to reconnect and go back into the same patterns. It doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with the person. It doesn't mean you have to live with them or even talk to them. All it means is that their part in your awakening is acknowledged and then there's nothing left but gratitude. And as you keep the appropriate boundary for you, so if somebody's still um, causing trouble, you don't, your your instincts will tell you to keep that out of your space. And part of your awakening is knowing where to draw that boundary. If you keep someone inside the boundaries that's causing distress, you won't be able to forgive. Okay, so all of this applied to self-forgiveness. Right? I talked about the Furies. If you've got Furies clawing at you, clawing at you. What I'd really like you to do is imagine the Furies as the monsters they are in Greek mythology. So these, these hor- they, I think they were like vultures, but with the faces of, of people. So they would come and like tear with their talons and everything. So imagine every self-critical part of yourself as one of these uh, Furies. And then if it comes to you and says, you know, you haven't done enough, you say. I know you're lying. And I thank you for telling me this lie so that I have to see through it. And the opposite of what your fury is telling you is going to be the doorway to your next bit of an awakening. So it says, you haven't done enough. Say, thank you for lying to me, for telling me this direct lie so clearly that I can flip it into, I have done enough. Hmm. Let me sit and think with, about that. As you think about the opposite of your self-criticism, your illusions will begin to lighten and peel away. And then you will be able to say, I have done enough. Of course you've done enough. If you were to die right now, you would have done enough. We've all done enough. There's nothing we need to do except to experience life as consciousness in human form. Every single thing you ever think you did wrong was consciousness experiencing itself through you in a new way. On our first night in the hospital with our new baby, she had a bit of jaundice and they put her on a a light table that has ultraviolet light. And she wasn't, um, she couldn't be picked up or dressed. It was cold, it was uncomfortable. She couldn't be cuddled. And it was really, really hard. And so, I actually, I, I sent to Roe a link to some Gregorian chants and she started playing them to Lila and Lila did exactly what any of us would do upon hearing something amazing for the first time. She went, and she just listened. And I looked at that little face on the on the uh, FaceTime phone. I was at home by then. and. I watched God hearing a Gregorian chant through a new set of ears, and I saw the awe and the wonder of that. And I thought, this is why it's worth having a human brain with all its tendency to turn against itself. Our ability to have awe, to wake up to the beauty of the world, of the universe in this new way, it's worth all the crap we put on ourselves. So take your fury, whatever it is today, and say thank you for being the agent of my awakening and wake up. Like if your fury is telling you you're not enough and it hurts, say thank you for being the agent of my awakening, I know you're telling a lie. The exact opposite of it is I am absolutely enough. Sit with that until the lie drifts away. And then you can let it go Bless and release, you can love it forever for having been that piece of your awakening. And that's all any suffering ever is, you guys, is the agent of our awakening. And when you realize that, you can forgive the whole world, including yourself, for anything you think you may ever have done wrong. All right, so we're going to go to some questions now. And the gracious badger, is actually still behind the scenes, even now, doing her mighty tasks. And I am looking at some questions here. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. So, Anne-Marie says, this is what how we have to deal with this. I forgive myself for needing read, reading glasses. I've heard that in order to forgive, something has to die. Would you say forgiveness requires the stages of grief? Not necessarily, because when I, for example, kill a mosquito, sorry mosquitoes, I know my karma is going to come and get me, but if there's a mosquito buzzing around, I think it may kill someone with malaria, and I, I kill it, it died, and I don't feel that bad. And a lot of these things that have to die in us, our illusions are so toxic that to get rid of them is like taking off a hair shirt. You don't really have to go through the stages of grief. You just go, oh, thank God. Now, if the belief is something, for example, that tied you to someone you used to love, and you thought, okay, if I believe in myself, I have to let go of Georgia because Georgia hates me and thinks I'm bad. And the only way to get in with Georgia is to think that I'm bad you may have to grieve the loss of the love you thought was there between you and Georgia. But generally these these awakenings that come from self-forgiveness don't require the stages of grief. They're actually really easy to let go of. The problem is that we insist on believing them and they're just plain wrong. So once you get past that stumbling block, you're, you're cool. So Connie says, can the awakening ever come without suffering? Is that another level? I think it absolutely can. There are sometimes, like when Lila heard that Gregorian chant, part of her human system woke up to something beautiful. When you see something absolutely gorgeous and you forget to worry about your life, about politics, about the things going wrong in the world, you wake up in that moment and there's no suffering. And when you get really wide awake, the way, this is another reason to read Stephen's book because it talks about how he holds his awakening by continuously forgiving everything that happens. But remember, the system of forgiveness is not, you hurt me, that's okay. No, 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 no. It's, you're hurting me because whatever you make me believe is a lie. And the release of that lie is the next step in my awakening. So I will, Thank you for that and let it go. So uh, yes, I think that awakening, oh, when you get to the point where you do that constantly, um, there's very little suffering. It's just, it's rapid because suffering, there's no part of suffering that is real. And once you learn that, you release it very, very quickly. Okay, Donna says, when self-criticism is so automatic that you don't even realize the message is internal and you believe it's external, How do you gain the perspective to counter the message with gratitude to know it's a lie? You don't have to get to gratitude to know it's a lie. If it hurts, it's a lie. Doesn't matter if it comes from you, from the outside, from your preacher, from your mother, it does not matter if it hurts you, if it's painful, if it causes you to feel trapped, it's a lie. You get to gratitude by saying, thank you suffering for teaching me that this thought that I'm thinking right now, whatever I'm believing is not true. You identify the falsehood because it is painful. Does not matter if it's external or internal. It's always a lie if it hurts you and traps you. So you dig into that, you get to the opposite of the lie, you consider that and you deliberately contemplate it. So Donna, I know you can do this. Deliberately sit there with the opposite of the lie. If you're always telling yourself you're not good enough, sit there and force yourself to see the times when you have been good enough and think about when you were a baby that size. Like, show me the baby in the world who's not good enough. We're all just babies. We're all just babies doing our best. And when you start to see yourself with the same compassion with which you regard others, you're waking up. So if it hurts, it's a lie. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Okay. Jennifer says, how does one think the agent of awakening um, when it's forced abuse or neglect on our loved ones? Well, you do everything you can to get them out of the situation. Part of the lie is we're stuck, we can't get out. Uh, that is, and it's very, very strong. I've been reading for some reason, I, oh, I read a, a gorgeous memoir called Memorial Drive. I'm going to do another post on this, but um, it's by Natasha Tretheway, amazing poet. And it's about how her stepfather murdered her mother and like how long her mother tried to get out. One of the biggest lies that, pe- that we internalize as humans is that our dependency on others means we cannot leave situations or we cannot set boundaries. And self-forgiveness is what gets you out of that. So you say, okay, I want to leave this relationship, but that's abandonment. I could never abandon my, my partner. That would be bad. And that thought will be constraining, conflicting and tra- trapping. Even more than just suffering, falsehood entraps us and the truth sets us free. So I can't leave or I can't interfere or I can't set a boundary, I can't get help. Those are all lies that will keep you stuck. And you need to forgive yourself for telling lies that have kept you stuck in negative situations because if your loved ones aren't perfect and who is, you'll probably put yourself in a few of those situations. You need to say, okay, I'm trapped, I'm a victim. Those are lies. I'm not trapped. How could that be true? I'm not a victim. How could that be true? Nelson Mandela in a tiny little cell for 27 years managed to question the thought, I'm not free. I'm not a victim. I'm a victim and become this world power from that tiny cell by setting himself free psychologically and spiritually, even though he physically was in prison. And so did Viktor Frankl in Auschwitz. And so did Malala Yousaif in under the Taliban. So yes, life is hard. And sometimes we're trapped in certain situations, but we are rarely as trapped as we think we are. We are rarely the victims we think ourselves to be. So question, the thought, I'm trapped, I'm a victim. Forgive yourself for thinking it. Thank it for showing you that the opposite is the truth and then get the hell away from the bad guys. Okay. So Heather says, Martha, any advice on how to support a child caught inside the Furies? Um, Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry, pour water all over myself. But see, I've forgiven myself already. I'm so good at this. (laughs) Yeah, Heather, children get this way. Um, I had a, a friend come see me when my youngest was just a toddler and my toddler was, oh, Ro just reminded me that my youngest is not very old now. My youngest biological child was a toddler um, and she was toddling around and my uh, my friend had her feet stuck. She was sitting on the floor and my toddler tripped over my friend's foot. And my friend, to show my child how bad the friend had been, took her on foot and hit it and said, bad foot, bad foot for tripping Lizzie. And Lizzie sat down in her little diaper, picked up her own foot and started hitting it and saying, bad foot, bad foot. The moral of this is that your children don't free themselves when you tell them they're okay. They free themselves when you tell yourself you're okay. They don't treat themselves the way you treat them. They treat themselves the way you treat you. You've got to self-forgive if you've got little ones around it is an emergency. Or if they've already grown and you need to call them on the phone and say, hey, guess what? I'm not not in sackcloth and ashes. I know I I screwed up, but I'm right here and I've forsaken my old ways and I just wanted to see how you're doing now. It's really not too late. And if you've learned to forgive yourself, they'll feel it and it changes everyone. They say that um, 60-year-old or 80-year-old parents who go into therapy without even trying seem to make life better for their 60 something children. (laughs) So yeah, never too late. Nancy says, how do you forgive yourself for making a mistake that hurts someone else? Every mistake we make hurts someone else. Every mistake someone else makes has the capacity to hurt us. When we set ourselves free over and over again from self recrimination, it is a natural consequence to begin forgiving others. We tend to do the opposite. We forgive others and not ourselves. It doesn't work. The energy's wrong. We have to forgive ourselves first. We have to wake up first and love ourselves unconditionally. As unconditionally as everybody in this house is loving that little Badger Junior. We have to love ourselves that much, that completely. And then when people are around us, they feel our self-love as love toward them. So most of your internalized self-hatred from your parents is your parents' self-hatred. If they got rid of it, if they were happy, if they showed up in light and think what it would be like for you. So forgive yourselves, forgive yourselves, forgive yourselves by thanking yourselves for being the agents of your own awakening. And let's see if we can get our minds as clear as a newborn baby's and start to experience the world without that scrim of self-loathing with the joy of awakening that comes when you realize there's nothing to forgive. It was all just part of waking up. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you again next week on The Gathering Room. See you then. I love you. Bye. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com compass, and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.